This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Bass Fishing for Noobs here on the Paddle and Fid podcast. I'm your host, Sean. Uh, my co-host Susie is again busy this evening. Uh, she is um, getting things prepped for the Dale Hollow uh, tournament, I believe. So uh, she's going to uh, skip out tonight, but I uh, hope to have her on again next week. Um, but that being said, I wanted to highlight that uh, I guess this, this show will air on Monday and the following Wednesday evening, actually Thursday, I will be heading down to Dale Hollow uh, to meet up with the rest of the Paddle and Fin crew, uh, those who can make it. Um, there is going to be quite a few of the hosts there this year again. And uh, this weekend, or the following weekend, so the April 22nd and 23rd, we will be having the uh, Dale Hollow Open again. Uh, so I'm super excited to make that trek down there again. It's a uh, I just looked, I think it's a 11 or 12 hour drive for me. So it's a little bit of a hike, but uh, I'm bringing my own kayak this year after uh, uh, pedaling on Old Town last year and feeling totally awkward not having my Hobie. Uh, so I'm going to drive again this year. And that way, if I lose any rods, uh, <coughs> Brian, uh, then I won't feel so bad uh, about losing somebody else's rods because uh, that, that was pretty embarrassing. But um, 
Anyway, so uh, if you guys can make it or if you're at all interested, we'd love to have uh, as many uh, listeners come out for that tournament as possible. Uh, e- even if you don't want to fish the tournament, you can come out and hang out with us. Um, just get to know uh, the crew uh, in person. Um, we'd love to get to meet as many listeners as possible and just you know share in the, the fun times that we always have down there. So super excited to be going there uh, coming up next weekend. Um, again, I know some of the crew will be down early next week. Um, Myself, uh, I'll be heading down on Thursday. Uh, my daughter is having foot surgery, so I had to hang around a little bit longer here at home uh, while she works that out. But uh, anyway, uh, that's the kind of getting you guys all caught up on that. So super excited for that. Um, but uh, that's not the reason we're here tonight. So uh, I, I was uh, looking for guests, and I happened upon a message uh, way back when uh, Ryan had decided to leave the podcast Um I had quite a few people uh, reach out and ask potentially about co-hosting. And this uh, gentleman was one of the people who had reached out. And uh, that was kind of before Susie uh, uh, decided that she wanted to get back into the podcast game. And so I never really got to dig further into the opportunity for other people to co-host, but he was one of the gentlemen that reached out. And um, so I, after uh, looking around and kind of reading through his profile and stuff and seeing um you know, we don't get a lot of anglers on here from the Pacific Northwest. And uh, I like to get, uh, you know, kind of a take on everybody around the country because, you know, Palin Finn is bigger than just, uh, you know, you know, we have a bunch of people from Ohio. We have myself from Pennsylvania. We have some Texas people, um, you know, uh, Jimmy and uh, those guys are, you know, down in the uh, Florida, Alabama kind of area. So but we just don't hear a lot from the Pacific Northwest. So I wanted to have uh, this guest come on. Um, He has been on uh, Paddle and Finn before. He was on Armando's show, the best kayaking beers uh, show, uh, back when he was still uh, with Paddle and Finn. So he's not a total newbie uh, for Paddle and Finn, but this is the first time on the Noob Show. So I wanted to take a second and welcome Mr. Luke Johnston. How's it going, sir? Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, glad to have you. And again, um, uh, super happy to have you on. Um, what did you uh, talk about with Armando? Man, I'm just, I don't know, just fishing in general. I don't really recall exactly what the conversation was, but, you know, I mean. Okay, yeah. Yeah, just, I just reached out to him saying, hey, man, it'd be cool to talk to you about about fishing on the show. So, yeah. I always I, I always liked Armando's too. show. Yeah, like the the different way, uh, stories that he, he'd draw out of people and stuff. Uh, definitely had some good stuff. So I'll have to go back and uh, dig through the archives and find that one. Um, but um, but yeah, so for the folks who uh, might have missed that one or aren't familiar with you, why don't you let them know who you are, uh, kind of where you're from? Yeah, sure. Of course. So I'm from, well, kind of the Portland area, generally Portland, Oregon. Um, grew up here in a small town, um, kind of near here. Uh, and, and yeah, I've lived here basically my whole life. Um, yeah, and I love it here. So it's a, gotcha. it's a really great, it's a really great place to live. And cool. To fish and especially. I was just going to say, and, and what's your fishing story? How'd you get into fishing and you know, how'd that come about? Yeah. Just as a kid, um, there's so many trout streams here, uh, especially so on the West side of the state, uh, the East side too, but the West side I'm, I'm most familiar with, um, pretty much any creeks or river you know if there's water there's probably trout and mostly on this side of the state um it's uh it's cutthroat trout and so as a kid with a rooster tail lure a spinner (laughs) rooster tail for me explicitly and i still use them today 
um, that and a single rod with, you know, who knows what six pound mono on it, you know, go down to the river and, and catch trout. Um, and that was a ton of fun. And there was a little lake nearby as well that they'd stock trout in, which is common around here still to this day. You know, they, they stock like, you know, full eight to 10 inch trout, you know, um, rainbow trout in that case, but go and catch it on power bait and things. Oh like yeah. That. Yeah. That sounds very similar to Pennsylvania. We, they, they kind of do a lot of that similarly here. I just took my daughter. We have a youth mentor day where the adults are supposed to not fish a whole lot there. You, you basically you take your kid fishing. And so I took my daughter out and we did the whole, you know, power bait and a split shot and went to town and she did, she caught three and, you know, was happy. So, you know, I was happy and, um, but yeah, that, that's cool. Um, yeah. You know that now when you say lake fishing, you know, is that like big lakes or like what, you know, what, what's the water like you, I know uh, you mentioned when we talked before the show about the Columbia river and, you know, finally I can talk to someone who has a river that's at least comparable to the, you know, it's not the, you know, 300 yard wide, you know, at the widest point, you know, little river that I, some of the, my guests talk to. So. Yeah. I was actually uh, catching up a little bit on some of your episodes from before just to kind of get the vibe, you know, and uh, you were talking to, I think a, a guide uh, from the Susquehanna and talking about how it's a mile wide and yeah, for sure. The Columbia river is absolutely a mile wide in, in many places. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I didn't really fish the Columbia river much till a lot more recently, you know, as a kid, it was, it was little lakes and ponds and stuff that, you know, they'd stock and, and rivers and things like that. Um, but really, you know, what, after high school, I quit fishing for probably, you know, eight to 10 years, something like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, through college and early adulthood. And then I don't know about 2015, maybe something like that. I kind of got this itch, you know, and I didn't have any gear at all. I mean, literally nothing. And so I went to Cabela's, I guess, and bought like probably a $40 spinning combo, you know, a pre pre spooled and everything, that kind of deal. <laughs> and, uh, and I think though I, I had the intention of, of fishing for bass, um, which I had done very little as a kid and, and had, you know, some success, but not really, that wasn't my, my thing, but it just seemed like fun. So anyway, that, and probably, a pack of Senkos and some, you know, some, uh, some warm hooks and headed out. We have a lake kind of nearby here. It's technically a reservoir, I guess, but, um, and, uh, yeah, and went and, and caught some bass and, and that was just exhilarating, you know, uh, just from shore, like in the grass. Uh, and, and when I say grass, I mean, like, if it was, if it wasn't a lake, it would be like prairie grass. Like it would be like, you could harvest hay from it, you know what I mean? Wow. Out of okay. a hay field. That, that when when we talk about grass up here, I think like that's what we're talking about grass grass, like real okay. like from your yard grass almost. Um, not like hydrilla and stuff, although that does exist, but a lot of our lakes are are um at least our reservoirs are like uh they used to be prairies. And okay. now they're used now they're used for for irrigation, drinking water, things like that. So grass still grows at least on the edges. Interesting. Um, yeah. So then, but then, so, you know, what happened was I was fishing and I reached, I noticed this huge chunk of grass, like in the distance that I couldn't get to, there was really no way to, to get there without hiking down like a crazy big embankment. And I was like, I need to get over there, you know? Uh, and that's where kayak came in. Gotcha. And, yeah. Just needed access. I didn't know that kayak fishing was a thing. I, I hadn't dug that deep. It was just, I needed some way to float over there. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. So what'd you start out with? A, some kind of sit inside Pelican $200, <laughs> you know, probably $300 total with a paddle and a life jacket kind of situation. Gotcha. Gotcha. Strapped to my Honda Civic on foam blocks. <laughs> Like I had no idea what it would lead to. The ends justify the means, man. You know, that's it. And um, so what are you fishing out of now? What have you? I've got a old town PDL 120. Okay. I I shouldn't have busted on that then when I, but when I mentioned that doing that last year at Dale Hollow, because I think that might be the exact boat that I was in last year in Dale Hollow. But uh, I love uh, it. I, I, you know what I, by, by the end of, I think I fished out of it the three days I was down there. And by the end of it, I, I, uh, I did, uh, I thought it was fine. Um, it was just that first initial getting used to a circular, um, pedaling motion when I was so used to the Hobie just back and forth, I felt like totally uncoordinated. I'm like, I can't make this go. (laughs) And, uh, but, uh, yeah, by the end I, I was, uh, you know, doing fine. It was just that initial learning curve that my muscle memory was so trained to that back and forth motion that when I actually got to, to pedaling it and and it was silly because uh jimmy had mentioned oh he's like oh i can get you an outback we'll bring an outback and i was like oh you know no i'll i'll try you know because brian had mentioned you know oh, i have a uh you know an old town that you can use and i was like yeah yeah you know i i, I have never pedaled anything but a ho- other than a hobie so i i was like maybe i should try it in hindsight that probably wasn't the best idea to just try for a weekend where i had no other options but uh it definitely uh made me realize that i do love my hobie um but uh you know to each their own. I, I, I can't say that I, I hated it. It just, uh, felt alien to me. So. Yeah. I tried a Hobie when I was looking at the old town. Um, and, uh, and it was fine. I mean, there was nothing. Yeah. I don't know. I think, I think my tipping point on whether I went with the Hobie or the old town was probably cost at the time. Just, you know, they're a bit, a bit bigger of an investment. Uh, yeah. And that was just, yeah. and that wasn't the 361. I don't think it was out at the time. It may have been. Gotcha. It was well, fresh. It was new and quite a bit more expensive, obviously. So. Well, even my, my Outback when I bought it, I think it was twenty seven hundred, and uh, I used uh, I traded in a a Jackson Cusa HD, uh, and then then also used uh, some inheritance money that my grandmother had left for me uh, to kind of make up the cost. And now uh, an Outback's like thirty five hundred. So I, I feel yeah. lucky that I got in when I did because, you know, they, they've gone up in price crazy. And I, I always joke with people, you know, um, I have an iPhone, but other than that, like computer wise, I always joke about Macs being like, you pay an extra grand for the Apple logo on your device. And, uh, but the kind of the same thing can be said about Hobie. You slap a Hobie logo on something and you can add 50% to the cost pretty much. So, yeah, but one thing about, you know, about the Outback that I really loved was that it just seemed like it was just like there was a place for everything immediately and there wasn't much need for the angler or the user, you know, to like retrofit anything. It was just mm-hmm. it was all right there. There's little, you know, lanyards and and retractors and the and the track system and it was just boom. It's like here you go, it's ready to go. You know, throw your fish finder on there maybe grab a rod and you're fishing, you know. Whereas the old town, I, I think they could make some make some changes, like a rear gear track, for example. I installed one. It's like I know they were trying to, you know, it was trying to be at a market point that maybe wasn't as expensive, but mm-hmm. it's like those kinds of things. It's like all this flat surface area on the old town, and there's no track. And then there, the front has plastic tracks. It would be nice if they were metal, which you can buy aftermarket ones um, and, and install them. People have made them, you know. But in any case, I love it. It it man, it it um. I went from, so I went from the sit inside 
whatever that was, uh, Pelican, to a uh, Vibe Yellowfin 100. Okay. Which was, so it was 10 feet. And when I bought it, I, I had an, and I didn't get to test it, which was problematic. So anybody listening, make sure you test them. They're, you know, that wasn't that huge of an investment. I think it was maybe $700 at the time, but still, I mean, it's not cheap. Um, I thought I could stand in it and it turns out I couldn't stand in it. So it didn't really change my fishing all that much. I mean, it was more, you know, it had some rod holders. It had a, a rear uh, tank well area where I could put a crate a little better. Um, but overall, I still had to sit all day. And when I fish, you know, when I go out, I usually get one day a week. I like to make it at least eight hours if I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and to sit, physically sit for eight hours and not stretch your legs is brutal. So I'd find oh, yeah. myself like getting up on shore and just stretching for, you know, 10 minutes. But now in the old town, I can stand, I can basically dance in it. You know, it's great. I love <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. That, that, it was very stable. And, and that was, I've, I've heard that complaint about Outbacks, but um, I, I don't know if uh, just cause I'm, I'm only five, seven, you know, I'm uh, kind of on the smaller size and uh, I've never had problems standing in the Outback, but uh, then when I go to something like a PA or, you know, the bigger boats, then I'm like, these things are like, I'm like, you'd almost have to try to tip these things. You know, it, it's um, now, obviously I, I know I've heard people tip in the, the PAs and um, I've come close a few times in my Outback, but uh, you know, knock on wood, I have not uh, rolled it yet on purpose um, or uh, by accident. I've done it on purpose just to make sure I could flip it and get back in and everything. But uh but yeah, that's it. And I, I can say, you know, I felt totally secure in the, in the old town. And, um, now you said, you, you know, you say you like standing up, you know, is that, would you say you do that quite a bit or more just to stretch your legs every now and then? No, I do it quite a bit. Um, it's, it's tough though with the wind, you know, I mean, if mm-hmm. I had a motor like spot lock or something, then yeah, sure. I'd probably stand up all the time. Like I, if I was on the front of a boat, um, but if, like, let's say I'm, I'm going down a bank and the wind is blowing me just right where I can stand and say, I'm like fishing a spinnerbait maybe, or a swim jig or swim bait, something like a moving bait like that. And I can, and it's just right. Like, sure. I'll go the entire stretch as far as I can standing. Um, it's nice. It's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's fun. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I was thinking about that same thing, you know, when you get into those perfect drift situations where you can do that, I mean, there's a lot of techniques that, uh, are so much easier to do when you're standing, you know, I think in jerkbait, especially that was one of the hardest things for me to learn to do seated was to work a jerkbait, um, you know, when the conditions don't permit, uh, but man doing, just being able to stand to do that or being any, any, you know, technique that where you're, you want to keep the rod tip low. Um, even like I prefer when I, you know, um, running a crankbait to, to keep my rod tip low like that. And, uh, so, Yep. Um, any of those techniques like that, uh, you know, being able to stand is definitely a bonus. So, yeah, actually, um, you know, cr- or not crankbait, sorry, uh, jerkbait is something that I still don't fish that often for that reason. It's not that often where I'm able to stand and, and fish, you know, um, and with, with enough balance and no wind and everything like that. So anyway, yeah, it's, it's really tough. And the other thing about, about a jerkbait that I still haven't mastered is, the right retrieve speed with my reel to keep up with the jerks and not get like weird little bubbles in my line and things like that, especially if I'm fishing any kind of bait caster that has braid. And so it's a lot more able to like flip out of your reel in a kind of weird, you know, and then, and then you get little weird bubbles that and loops that 
rap at each other. And so anyway, that's, I'm not much of a jerkbait guy. I, I am very jealous of people who can do that as well. Um, you know, I will say though, uh, having watched Jeff Little, I know we've had him on the show quite a bit. Um, he is, he fishes um, jerkbaits on spinning rods. And if you, so if you ever want to watch yeah. somebody use a jerkbait seated on a kayak, go uh, watch, uh, just Google Jeff Little jerkbait. And he, he's had entire episodes where he, he does, you know, nothing but jerkbait fishing seated with a spinning rod on a kayak. So, nice. uh, if you're ever interested, um, uh, I, I, again, I still have problems, like you said, keeping up with the, the line management with the reel while you're jerking, but, uh, it's, it's definitely, uh, if you ever want to find anybody who knows, uh, or is a good example of how to do it, I'd say check that out. So, yeah, that's what I've had to resort to. Honestly, a lot of times is just put it on a spinning rod. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not my favorite. No. So uh, while we're on that topic, what, what are some of your uh, favorite techniques? Well, if I just need to catch a fish, number one would be a Ned rig. <laughs> um, you know, not, it's not that exciting, but it has, it's caught so many fish and some really good ones. Um, and I, and I do want to get into, you know, fishing on the Columbia river, uh, as we talked about before. And, and that oh, yeah, just, yeah. you know, out there especially is just like caught so many good fish on it. So that one. Um, you know, but I think that one's probably been beat to death on how to, how to fish it. Well, <laughs> I think an, another one that, that I love, um, is a spinner bait. And, and in that similar vein, I know I had mentioned is, is kind of a swim jig with like a swim bait style swim jig, you know, not a craw, but like, mm -hmm. a, you know, a paddle tail on there, um, is a lot of fun. And, uh, so with, with those, so especially coming up pretty close to now and, and maybe in the next probably month. Um, so where I'm at on the Columbia river, uh, there's, they've built a freeway on one side and then train tracks on the other. Um, and, and actually I should take a step back. So the Columbia where I fish is above the first dam. And because so the Columbia was dammed up in multiple places, if you look at it on the map, I mean, it goes all the way up into Canada and there's all kinds of dams all along it that are mostly for hydroelectricity. OK. Um, and so it basically makes a, a whole bunch of reservoirs like, a, you know, a chain of reservoirs that they go throughout it. And, and some places aren't dammed up uh, or like the, the current actually flows. But in any case, so that's basically a huge reservoir that I'm in, but with current and that current, though, it changes. Um, at any given time based on the draw from the dam. Yep. And so, and mostly that's hydroelectrics, like I said. So a lot of it is, is electricity demand where it's like, oh, you know, this is the middle of the day on a summer day, they need more power. So there's more current than if it's, you know, 8 a.m. that same day. So I can be out there at launch in the summertime and the current's completely different from, like I said, eight to, you know, two, three, four o'clock in the afternoon, it'll change. Um, and not like immediately, but over time. Right. So anyway, so that, that's something to pay attention to. But so what, what happened though, is when they dammed up the river, um, became this huge lake. And on one side, there's a freeway. And on the other side, there's some train tracks. And when they built all that, there's a ton of riprap that's created these nice. you know, kind of like, you know, I don't know, 45 degree walls. And then maybe, I'm not sure exactly, but maybe because they had to dredge a little bit on the edges or something. In some places, there's these like little troughs just before the wall. 
and in the springtime the bass will get in this like against the rock but in a little bit deeper it might be like five feet and then eight feet and then goes up the wall onto the rock and if you can find one of those little places um, and throw spinner baits in there swim jigs uh, chatter baits a plain swim bait just a paddle tail swim bait um, that can be a lot of fun and it can be a whole day pattern to just find these walls and run them you know three four five of them in a day it's it's great fun okay i was curious about that like uh what kind of structure and stuff you have on that river because uh you know the susquehanna is is similar in that respect in that we do have quite a few different uh hydroelectric dams um i i probably have within 50 miles of me probably three uh places where the river is completely dammed and same thing you know if they're they're drawing uh you know flow to kind of create the power it the river can fish completely different you know yep. it can be dang near stagnant at times you know hardly moving at all and then they'll open the gates you know uh i've actually been pretty close there's bright big flashing lights and a siren that actually goes when they open the gates so that you know you know you know you get a little bit of time to get away from the dam when that happens but um it does make quite a bit of difference and in, in, like you said it i mean the river can change if you, especially if you, you say, you know, you fish, you know, try to fish like eight hour days out there, you know, if they, you know, start drawing in the midday, you know, it can be completely different how, from the morning to the afternoon about, you know, how the river is fishing. So, yeah. Yeah. It can really go from almost a lake to, to, you know, a river, but it, it's a river, like you're not going to find ripples or anything like that. I mean, we're talking like, you know, this thing's probably, you know, easily 60 feet deep there's 80 foot holes there's probably it's probably 100 feet deep in some spots i mean i've not crossed it in my kayak but i know it's it's i mean it's huge there's some huge deep holes and so you're not going to find you know when they start drawing water riffles necessarily but you'll notice around any kind of island or point that you know it's it's going yeah yeah well that is a little different then because uh they the joke about the susquehanna it's a mile wide but a foot deep you know Mm -hmm. so it does get there are a few places where i'd say it gets down to 30 40 but it's definitely way more of the you know especially in the summertime where it's a foot deep you know or two foot or you know you know some places like the more lakey areas uh are you know 15 20 regularly but uh, those are also the places where all the boaters and the jet skiers and the water tubers are. So um, it's just not the easiest place to fish anyway. And knowing that they can't be in the really shallow stuff, you know, the two foot stuff, um, that's kind of where I spend a large majority of my time just because I know I don't have to worry about somebody barreling me over. Uh, but um, yeah, what's, I've what's, with, I've dealt with that. Absolutely. I was going to say, what's your recreational traffic like out there? Is it a, a big thing? Well, so, so the Columbia, not much, at least where I'm at now you can fish the lower river. I say lower. I mean, it's, there's a lot of water between the ocean and the first dam, probably like hundred miles, 200 miles. I don't know. It's, it's a lot of water, but, um, you know, near the Portland area, like I, I drive probably an hour and 20 minutes to get to where I fish typically. So I'm fishing probably 50 minutes outside of Portland, something like that. I live a little further and, um, you know, in the Portland area, there's a lot more boat traffic, but I also don't fish down there that often because in that area, there's, at least from what I've seen, there hasn't been the same structure that I like to fish as there is a little further up. So that's why I travel further. However, to switch gears a little bit to a different river, there's the uh, Willamette River. 
that flows um, only in Oregon. It flows from like kind of central Western Oregon north and meets the Columbia. And that one flows directly through downtown Portland. And there, the population, I mean, we were like 2 million people or something in the metro area. Wow. And there's, you know, middle of July, August. Um, I get it. I get there before sunrise and I'm usually done by one o'clock because it's pure chaos. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, jet skis and tubers and it's a lot. So there's plenty of fish to be caught, but I don't want to deal with all the people. So <laughs> I'm usually, I'm usually done, you know, it, and plus it's getting super hot at that point. A lot of days anyway. So it's time gotcha. to get off the water. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and I know we talked a little bit before, uh, when, you, when we first talked, um, about kind of the things we we're going to talk about, you, you mentioned that the smallie fishing in the Columbia river is really good. And, uh, I was kind of curious what other species, uh, are out there. You know, I know, um, you know, not everybody targets them, but I was just curious, you know, uh, like I said, when I was talking to you here in Pennsylvania, you know, we're mostly largemouth, smallmouth as far as bass concerned. There's a few places we can go to get stripers, but that's kind of, uh, as far as bass are concerned, what we're, we're limited to now we can, you know, get, you know, the pike and muskie occasionally around and catfish obviously, but. Yeah, there's a lot. And, you know, first let, let me say though, on the smallmouth specifically, uh, it's absolutely epic. Really. I think like the Columbia especially is probably, I mean, I haven't fished a lot of other places for smallmouth, but it's probably one of the best in the country if you if you match it up. I mean, we just have epic days. Um, I mean, like a small fish out there, I feel like is about 14 inches. Nice. So, like, they're just all good fish, and and it's a lot of fun. Um, and I'd be I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't mention that yesterday my buddy caught. It was 21 and a quarter, but he has a, he carries a scale, and it was five pounds 14 ounces. Wow. It was the biggest fish. Like it was a massive fish. So like we really have great smallmouth fishery. Um, and, and so anyway, come and check it out like anybody or, or get out there. Um, but aside from that, I mean, we're really known as a cold water area, uh, for most fish historically. So that's, you know, your trout, rainbow trout, cutthroat trout, if there's a river, it's got trout in it, probably, um, around here. But then salmon, um, all different variations of salmon that come in from the Pacific Ocean. Steelhead, which are, um, they're different from the Great Lakes steelhead, which are from here and then were planted there. Interesting. Um, and so the steelhead go, they're, they're rainbow trout that migrate out to the ocean and then come back um, as as adults to, to spawn. Hmm. Okay. I would say they're probably very hard to target from a kayak just because the water they're in like the rivers the rivers that they run in are not i guess you could do it but it would you would have to have a shuttle system and it'd be a one-way trip like you're not going back up those rivers gotcha you know it's a it's a little more tricky um people target salmon for sure from uh from kayaks and also sturgeon um the willamette columbia river has tons and tons of sturgeon in it um, I, i've seen uh, mike mckinstry do an episode on that and it always fascinated me um they're very like a prehistoric looking fish almost you know yeah. a really cool looking fish i i know in that episode he talks about you know having to handle them like super carefully like i think there you're not allowed to get them out of the water you pretty much have to bring them up to your kayak you know 
keep them in the water, unhook them. You know, you're allowed to get a picture with it in the water, but that's, they have like really strong regulations on what you can do with them. Just cause I guess their skin's like paper thin or something. Uh, I think I remember him saying, so. I, I'm not sure about the skin. I mean, I'm not saying that's wrong. I don't know, but, but for sure there's a lot of regulations around um, when, when there's a catch and release species or, or it's the wrong variety of a species. So for example, on that, you know, we have native salmon and steelhead, but then we also have hatchery released salmon and steelhead, which they're released as like, you know, smolt, like two, three inches long, however. And yep. then they live their lives for all intents and purposes. They live their lives as, as a native, but their fin is clipped. Their uh, adipose fin on their, like the, the littlest fin above their tail is clipped. And so when you catch them, you know that they're native or they're not. And when they're native, it's illegal to take them out of the water if you're fishing in an area where you're not allowed to keep a native. Gotcha. And so it's true with, it's true with the sturgeon as well. But I mean, honestly, if you're on a kayak and you catch a sturgeon, the chances that you're going to even be able to get it out of the water are slim <laughs> in the first place. And, and, you know, you're already right there anyway at water level. So it's, you know, it's pretty easy to just get your good picture and get it out. But sturgeon are really interesting. And, and I don't know the exact regulation, but because they get so big, there's like a there's a minimum size and a maximum size and and i want to say it's maybe the minimum is 48 inches so four wow feet, and the maximum is 60 inches and you can only keep them in that range in specific areas specific times of the year whatever the regulations allow and i'm pretty sure so it's like a one foot right there but they get to be like eight feet or ten feet and you know, I can't imagine. Itch. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. That's got to be like a sleigh ride for sure. You know, oh, yeah. you're, you're you're going where that fish wants to take you. That hundred percent. Crazy. That sounds yeah. awesome. So, um, I was curious. You know, you know, you mentioned about you know the the ocean being right there. Where mm. where do the rivers meet the oceans? Is it mixed there? I know, like in in, in Pennsylvania, not so much in Pennsylvania. I guess more in Maryland. Um, uh, we have like where the bay, where the river meets the bay and they call that brackish water. You know, it's kind of a saltwater, freshwater mix. And that's where like a lot of the striper action is. Um, you know, I, I know it, it makes for an interesting fishery. I know we used to crab there a lot because the crab or crab species are one of the few that actually like that brackish water. Right. I mean, we don't have striper here, as far as I know. I, I think in, in Northern California, though, you can get stripers. So we're not, you know, too far from that. Um, I mean, ocean fishing, for sure. And you can take your kayak out there. You know, some I'm not brave enough or, or haven't, <laughs> haven't been. Uh, it's a little it's a little rough. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can go out and catch like rockfish and cod and lingcod and things like that. Cool. Um, and then there is brackish water where the Columbia meets the, the ocean. Um I don't know that there's fish species that people are targeting specifically because it's brackish water though. Okay. Um, no, that, that makes sense, you know, but it, it sounds like, I mean, if you take the different rivers that you guys have and, and your reservoirs and lakes and stuff, it, you have quite a few different uh, ways to fish, you know, it's, I'm, I'm kind of interested that, you know, I, I, the lakes, at least around here that I fish, um, they do stock trout in them, but, I hardly ever catch them. Like I know they're in there, but uh, I just um, there's a, there's a few places in Northern PA uh, that I fish up near my hunting camp. And uh, those are uh, a few of the places that I've caught trout in the lakes, but at least down here uh, in Southern PA where I am uh, it's weird. You just don't see it as much, but I know they're in there. Um, Cause I know uh, 
you know, one of the good baits to use uh, as the water's kind of just starting to get warm is one of those, uh, you know, S waiver uh, in a trout pattern or something, right. you know. So I know, you know, they're obviously in there because, you know, those baits work good, but uh, I just don't have a lot of, uh, I haven't seen a lot of catches, but I also don't fish power bait or the things that I would normally fish for trout when I'm in those lakes. Yeah. I think, you know, from a kayak, it's, it's relatively easy, at least for, for me over here to catch trout on the kayak. I mean, you know, like, so trolling is huge. So a pedal, a pedal drive is typically better just cause you can really control your speed, um, or a motor obviously, cause then you can really, really control your speed. Um, but then, you know, you can paddle for them too. But the thing is, is, um, I mean, really as simple as a spinner, a rooster tail spinner, a MEP spinner, anything like that, you know, your little trout that you would throw in a, in a Creek or a stream. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, just kind of figure it. So what I do is I'll, I'll kind of toss it out so that it's casted. And then I like to pull count my strips. So, cause each one's like roughly three feet, right? So yep. you know, if you do, if you do 10 of those, you know, you're 30 feet back roughly. And then, you know, um, and then that's pretty much it. Drag it around. I mean, that's as simple as it can be. And in the early months, like right now, you know, er, kind of early in the year when the wa- water's still cool, they're pretty high up in the column. Generally, you can catch them shallow. So you don't have to do much work to get your lure deep at all. Right. And you just drag it around and you'll probably, if there's trout in there, you'll, you'll probably get some attention, you know. Um, but then as the water warms, or if you do want to go deeper, what you can do is you can take one of those sliding, like, it's like a black slider deal with a clip on it, right? Like yep. your little sw- swivel clip and run that on a, on your line and then tie that off to a swivel or yeah, either, either a barrel swivel or, or a snap swivel doesn't matter. And then on the back of that, tie another, say 36 inches of line and then tie your lure to that. And on that sliding dealie that you put on your main line, attach like a one eighth ounce dropper weight, like just your simple little, you know, those little weights that have like the coiled wire that goes in Yep. Either that or, you know, a one eighth quarter, whatever it is you need and do the exact same thing. But now you're just getting a little bit deeper. And, and if you need to get deeper, you can also go longer, which will help it get deeper because the whole angle, right. It's, right. It's a balance. And you just kind of figure it out. It's like, well, I think they're deeper. Maybe you have a fish finder or you're marking fish, but you're not catching any, try to slow down. That'll help you go deeper, speed up more weight, whatever. You just figure it out and, and trial and error. Um, and you can do that same thing. And I forgot to mention in, in the kind of species list was kokanee as well, uh, which I'd mentioned to you before. They're yep. landlocked salmon and people use different lures for them, but it's the same kind of approach um, and you can catch in our lakes. So, you know, if you're going to target trout, it's it's relatively simple. I think. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, and, and uh, now a uh, rooster tail uh, is one of the, actually I started throwing it in the river uh, for bass and, uh, only because I was having like a horrible day, wasn't catching anything. And, uh, I had some rooster tails in my box from when I would go trout fishing and I ran, I passed a guy on a kayak and I just, Hey, I, how, you know, making small talk, how you, how's it going? He's like, Oh, I, I, I probably caught 20. And I'm like 20. I haven't caught one. I was like, what the heck are you throwing? He's like, Oh, oh just a rooster tail. I was like, what? And so he paddled on by and I was like, he, I think he was like pulling my leg or something, you know, one of those where I'm just going to tell this guy, this is what I'm catching one. But I was like, yeah, you know what? I'll give it a try. And I, I, it was like crazy. I started catching bass. Now they weren't huge. Um, I know I, I have caught, I think my biggest one on a spinner or a, a MEPS is like, uh, I think I had like a 19 or something. Um, 
it's definitely, uh, I'd say one of, I catch more smaller fish on it, but if you're looking just to catch and just to have fun, that is one of the best baits I I've found for the river. Um, oddly enough. And yep. so, you know, when I run into somebody and they're having trouble, that's what I tell them to tie on, at least on the Susquehanna, because for some reason, I don't know why, uh, it, it, it seems to catch bass. Um, again, you know, people laugh at, at me when I t say that sometimes, but I'm like, Hey, that was my first confidence bait because it's easy to use. Um, it's kind of hard to screw up. Now I was, I was curious though, when, when you say, when you talk about the grass and stuff, you know, yeah. cause that isn't usually super grass friendly. Um, at least for me, it isn't. Yeah. Um, but I think our, our lakes, at least where I would be in my kayak is, is quite a bit deeper and I wouldn't necessarily need to be, where the grass is. I, I think the grass probably grows to like 10 feet deep, maybe because okay. it, it needs the sun right? Um, yep. to get there. Right. And, and so, cause like I said, it's like actual grass, grass, like prairie grass. And so it, it needs that sunlight as opposed to like, you know, uh, aquatic grass species that could grow in, you know, probably a lot deeper in any case. So I'm not really too concerned about the grass when I'm, if I ever am trolling a, gotcha. Trolling gotcha. A spinner. No, that, that, and that makes sense. Um, and that's, I guess, would be where, you know, the Susquehanna is a little different because we do get a lot of grass because it is so shallow, I think. And it, it does have a light, a lot of light permutation to it. Uh, so grass is a lot of, pre very prevalent. And especially like they call it eel, eel grass or celery grass. It's, it's very brittle. So you run a treble through that and it just gathers yeah. it like crazy you know because it it doesn't it's not one of those where you just rip it out and it stays there and the lure comes clean it it just takes it all with it so um that was one of the hardest things for me to learn because i'd watch all these videos and they're like oh yeah just rip it out of the grass and i'm like well, my grass doesn't work like that you know but it, you know once i figured out what i can throw so that's why you know i throw uh a fluke or you know some of those uh, really, really super weedless stuff uh, in that kind of grass. And it works really well because there are bass in there. They love it. Um, but just getting certain lures through it are, is a challenge. So. 100%. You know, the, the grass that, you know, I, I'm talking about too, like it, um, you can find these places, like there's a nearby lake that has this one spot. And I think I mentioned it at the very beginning, I wanted to get my kayak over there. It's just so much. It's like, it basically is a flooded prairie. It seems like back up in this pocket. And so for me, when I very first started, a weightless Senko was so ideal because you can Texas rig it and get no grass, but you can get it in the, these little pockets that you're like, oh, right over there, there's like this little hole in the grass, like a, you know, a naturally created little spot and you throw it in there. Sure enough, you know, there's a fish in there is exactly where you think it would be. And so, you know, I, I would say around here um, in any of our lakes, a weightless Senko for anyone who's starting is just so dead simple you know once you learn how to rig it up that's the hardest part you know and then it's just a matter of throw it and just do nothing you know and then until you're sure it's on the bottom then maybe twitch it twitch it again nothing do it you know do it again in another spot and and so i think a beginner can do real well um, in our lakes around here with that especially on, on the short like anywhere on the shoreline around probably between now and mid-june you know when they're anytime they're kind of in that getting ready to spawn or, or post spawn. There's going to gotcha. be fish around. 
No, and I, I 100% agree. That was probably confidence bait number two for me was the uh, was the Senko. And when I go to, um, I, I do uh, uh, youth Christian camp, I do a week as a camp counselor. Uh, and so that's a lot of times a lot of kids fishing. And uh, so that that is pretty much the bait I take with me. And I usually go to, you know, Walmart and buy like the, you know, as many of those Ozark Trail ones as I want because they're, they're not as expensive as like a, a Yamamoto Senko or anything, even Yumdingers are a little more price competitive, but um, those kids, you know, I tell them the same thing. I was like, cast it out and wait till your line goes completely slack and you know, it's laying there on the bottom and then pop, 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 let it drop, pop, 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 let it drop. And they're like, Oh, I caught one. You know, it's, it's great watching them catch it. So um, it's what I, you know, kind of taught my kids uh, to fish on too. It's just, it's I, like I said, I think, it's one of the best beginner baits there is. Um, and especially, you know, if you Texas rig it, it's, it's dang near weedless too. So. Oh yeah. And snagless, Absolutely. you know, you can drag that over a branch and, uh, or rocks and not have it hang up a lot, you know? So. Yeah. I still throw that, you know, and I throw it in the nastiest places that I don't want to throw anything else in for fear of losing, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, well, throw it in there first and worry about getting the fish out after yep. You know, yeah. got to get I, first. I forget who I was. I was just listening to somebody. They were talking about, you know, uh, you know, common mistakes anglers make. And and that was one of the things that uh, the, the, the person mentioned. It was throwing in places where you don't know how you're going to get the fish out. He said, because obviously if you don't cast in there, you're not going to get a fish out. So if you're worried about getting the fish out, just give it a try and you'll be surprised you know, what you can work out now, it doesn't mean you're not going to, you know, get them tangled and sometimes break them off in there. But, uh, still, if everybody who looks at that spot, passes it up and says, you know, I, I'd never get a fish out of there. Um, and you're the one that tries it, you know, you, you're going to be lucky more often than you're not. So it's well, definitely. The, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but uh, no, you're the great. great. The great thing about the kayak too, though, is that as opposed to a boat, you can probably get closer to that spot than a, than a boat could. So you probably have a higher percentage chance of getting a fish out of there than they do. Because first of all, they're not even maybe even going to be able to make that cast in there. But then you, especially maybe if you can stand, you might be able to leverage them up over a log or, you know, out of this weird thicket of junk, you know, and, and they probably didn't even make a cast in there. So it's like, especially if you can get near a spot. What do you got to lose? I mean, you're going to lose like a, a 50 cent worm and a hook. Worst case scenario, if you're throwing that lure, you know, right. so right. it's like, it's worth it. hundred percent agree. And, um, that was a, another thing that, uh, as a beginner, I really, you know, it did take me a little bit to, to learn that. Cause I was very intimidated about getting snagged and it, it was just like a mental thing, you know, Oh, I don't want to break off. I don't want to lose my lore. And, and, you know, like you said, it's it really, when you think about it, it's, you know, it's pennies, you know, maybe a couple of cents at the most, you know, obviously if you're throwing like some of the, you don't want to throw a, a jackhammer in there or you don't want to throw a, you know, a mega best vision 110 around someplace, you might not get it back a ton, but I mean, I, there's something to be said about having to risk that a little bit too, but, um, but yeah, with a, like a Texas rig Senko, we might as well, you know, Worst case, you you have to take a second and tie something on again. But uh, that's right. The the that's a definitely low risk, high reward kind of situation. I think. Absolutely. Cool. Um, 
Um, trying to think of anything else that uh, we had mentioned that we were going to cover. I know. Uh, oh, what's the what's the tournament scene out there out there like it? And, you know, is uh, is it growing or is it it's still kind of in its infancy? Do you, I know you mentioned when you first started in like 2015, you didn't even know kayak fishing was a thing. Um, so I was curious how that's changed since then, or if it's, if it, if it is big, I know you don't hear a lot about, you know, a ton of the big name, uh, trails going out there, but. Yeah, I, I personally don't participate in the tournaments. Um, just cause I just don't, I don't know. It is what it is, right. uh, but we do have, uh, we do have the, I believe it's kayak fishing Northwest is the tournament scene. And it's, or the, the trail, and it's a combination of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho, which, you know, that's kind of what we consider up here, the Pacific Northwest and sometimes British Columbia as well, if you want to, you want to throw that in there. Um, and so, you know, they, they do tournaments throughout Oregon and some in Idaho and in Washington. And, um, you know, I think it's, it is growing. Uh, I know, I believe it was two years ago, I want to say. Um, where they had their biggest to date, you know, and it was some, I don't, I don't want to quote any numbers, but it was, it was big. I remember being like, wow, that's a lot of people. And I also remember thinking like, oh, I've been to that lake. That seems like a lot of guys on that <laughs> lake too, you know, but that's great because it's just, it's just showing how many people there are, um, you know, that are, that are into it. And, and yesterday I was out on the river and we ran into two other guys in, in kayaks. Um, and, you know, I pretty much, pretty much every time I go out, I, I see somebody on a kayak that's fishing and, and generally, generally bass fishing, you know, cause they're in this similar kind of areas I'm at. Gotcha. Um, but I mean, overall too, if, if you get on any, like any forums or anything like that, or just kind of just pay any attention, I think you'll, you'll see all kinds of people fishing for all kinds of fish from kayaks that, that they weren't before. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's growing and, uh, I think it's, it's the barrier to entry so low. It's, it's hard to, you know, it's really hard to afford a boat, you know? And so if you want to get out on the water, a kayak is just so easy and, and you can stumble into it like, you know, like I did. And I think a lot of people do on accident. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you realize you're in this, this world that is way bigger than you, than you knew. Um, you know, I, I see all the time online, people asking questions about, you know, this, like their Walmart kayaks or whatever, like, Hey, how can I rig this out? I, I got this kayak for super cheap. And it's like, it's so great. So. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, and that's what I, I think is, is so great about this because you can literally, you know, for a pretty minimal investment, you know, you still want to be, you know, safe about it. And, you know, obviously now having been in some of the more expensive kayaks, I don't know that I necessarily would want to go back, but I still own a Pelican that my daughters use um, when we go out together. So uh, it, it, if it gets you out on the water, I'm like a hundred percent for it. And you know, if it helps our sport grow, I was curious, like you, do you have a, like a lot of paddle sports stealers or how far do you have to go to get a kayak? Like, or do you like have box chains with like Dick's and uh, Dick's sporting goods and that kind of thing where they, they have them. Yeah, I, I I I bought my first one from Dicks, um, but but we do. Um, so shout out to Next Adventure. Um, Next Adventure is a, a big dealer here in the Portland area, and there's also one called I want to say it's called Alder Creek Kayaks, maybe Kayak and Canoe, something like that. That's in the area. Um, but yeah, I know Next Adventure. That's that's who I ordered my old town from. There's this. Uh, they've got a specific two actually specific kayak. Um, shops 
And one of them is actually on the water. One of them's in downtown Portland. Um, but the one on the water is great. You can go there and, and check out boats, whatever they have, you know, that's in their kind of uh, demo fleet. Yep. And so I checked out the Hobie that day. I checked out the Old Town. I checked out, I don't know, a new canoe maybe that day, something else. So yeah, that's great. And um, yeah, and they, you know, they're dealer for all kinds of, all kinds of big brands. And so you can get, you can get stuff in and don't have to travel you know, super long distances to get anything. That's very cool. I mean, even I had, I had to drive three hours to test drive a Hobie. I had a, a local dealer, but they didn't have any way to test drive. They're like, Oh, we'll just put you up on the racks. And you know, they have like these, you know, kind of wood frames that they sit the kayaks on and they're like, Oh, it's, you, you know, you'll get a feel for it. I'm like, eh, that's not what it feel going to feel like on the water. So, um, I drove to Delaware, uh, to actually test drive a Hobie before I bought one. So, wow. uh, yeah. So it, yeah, even here in PA, you know, there, you'd think that we would have, uh, you know, a lot of access, but you know, like I said, I had to travel a little bit. So, but that's cool that yeah, it's readily accessible. So I'll, I'll definitely include some links, uh, to next adventure in Alder Creek. Um, that's A L D E R Alder. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, we'll make sure we include those. Uh, so folks, anybody out in that area, uh, looking for, uh, a kayak or want, maybe wanting to demo, uh, can go check them out there. So. Yeah. The, uh, it's called Scapoose, uh, the Scapoose Bay Paddling Center. Uh, that's where you can go demo. Them. Gotcha. But you'll find that, you'll find that on their website. Okay. Uh, yeah. Cool. It's great. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, um, I, I guess, you have that, that we kind of covered the different bodies of water, you know, obviously the Columbia and the, the other river you mentioned, I forget what the name of it was, uh, the Willamette, the Willamette. Okay. Yep. And then, uh, you know, tons of, uh, you know, uh, creeks and, and then also your reservoirs and lakes and stuff. Um, that's kind of cool. And, and relatively close. I mean, I know you said you drive an hour and a half for, uh, give or take and but that's more just to find, you know, your style of water or that's water right. that's not quite as cra- crazy. So, yeah, I mean, if you if you live, let's say you live in Portland, um, I think within an hour of any direction, you know, if you well, if you go north, you, you go into Washington, which isn't a problem. But it's just that keep that in mind that you do need a Washington state license. You cross the state line. Um, but I mean, within an hour, any any direction, there's for sure fishing opportunities. Um, whether you have a kayak or not, you know, and, and in bass fishing opportunities too, the Willamette river that runs right through town is packed full of smallmouth. I've, I've had 50 fish days like awesome. on the, on the regular, especially in the summer. Now those 50 fish, uh, you know, they're not, they're not always the best fish. Um, I, I've, my two PBs on that are, are both over 20, okay. uh, which is, they're great fish, but they're out of the thousands that I've caught. I've caught mm-hmm. two that are over 20, you know, and, uh, I was, I was screwing around with a friend one day and, and released one through my scupper hole. So <laughs> you know, that's, that's the size you, you can get down to, you know, three, four five inch fish. Oh yeah. Uh, but I mentioned, uh, I mentioned to go on fishing today and, uh, my two fish were probably one of them would have fit through the scupper and the other was only 13. So definitely, uh, they're, there, there are times on the Susquehanna, the same thing where you're going to weed through a lot of, uh, smaller fish to, to find those big ones, but they're, they're in there if you take the time to weed through them. So, yeah. Hey, one, one other thing I wanted to mention too, um, on the Columbia specifically is like, I, I think I bought my first kayak in 2016 and it took me until I believe 20, 2019, I went maybe once or maybe twice and then really 
2020 and 2021 before I felt really comfortable going out there. Um, and the reason for that is, so in in this area, the Columbia is basically in a big canyon and is more or less a wind tunnel. It's it's known as like one of the uh, like windsurfer, like worldwide destinations for, for windsurfers and like kite borders and things like that. Okay. And 10 miles an hour is no joke, really. And like wind, right? Mm-hmm. It, because it, it doesn't, like if you're on a little lake that, you know, you can get away from it. You can go in a cove. You can get behind some trees. It's completely exposed. And 10 miles an hour makes white caps. Mm-hmm. And it gets really, really gnarly. So just if 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 people are going to go out there, just 100% make sure they, you know, you check the wind forecast. Um, it's, it's a major thing. And also they can go on... Um, I, I don't know the exact website, but the, the dam, um, multiple dams are uh, run by the Army Corps of Engineers. And they've got a page that shows the actual discharge in you know cubic feet per second or whatever, mm-hmm. what the dam's actually releasing. And so what's cool is you can go back and say, you know, last week, what was it? And then, you know, what was it three days ago? What was it yesterday? So you kind of get an idea of the trend of their releasing, you know, what the current's going to be like. And Unfortunately, though, that doesn't really give you a good idea what the current's like if you've never been there. Like, you're not going to know what those numbers mean until right. you sort of get out there and you realize, like, oh, wow, you know, 180,000 is a lot and 100,000 is is really nothing. It's like a lake. Yep. Because uh, there's just so much water that flows through there, you know. Um, so, but anyway, those are two major things. And you have to look out, especially, I'll go back to it, the wind and um, right now we're, we're like, we've barely crested 60 degrees, like only a couple times this spring. It's been a super cold spring and the water still is like at 45, maybe 48 degrees. Yesterday I was out when I launched, it was 37 degrees, um, at sunrise. And so, you know, personally, my, my choice was that I wear, I wear chest waders and a semi dry top, um, for cold water gear. Um, my buddy wears a, a dry suit. Mm-hmm. Lots of people do. But your PFD, like I've almost turtled out there. <laughs> it's it gets rough, so um, safety is huge. Um, and if if you really if you go out there and you feel like hmm, it's a little windy, I feel this like slight hesitation. It really is time to go. Um, you're probably too late, actually. So I, I was so nervous for so long, um, and luckily, you know, going out with some friends and, and that helps. But um, no, I, I, I be very I, aware. Hundred percent get what you're saying. I I do the same thing now, uh, and made some foolish mistakes uh, when I first started, and um, so now I have. There's there's quite a few apps um, on the iPhone anyway. I know the iPhone store uh, where you can get uh, flows for rivers in your area. Um, so I use that. Uh, there's a National Weather Service site I know in Pennsylvania that gives us our flow conditions, um, and I'll, I'll definitely I'll do some searching and find that or army. Core of engineer site and i'll make sure i put that in the show notes as well um because that's definitely like you said it's it's super important and and it will take a little bit of it kind of uh looking at it and it going out and experiencing what the different flows are like because even on the susquehanna like where i am uh right now it's twenty four thousand cubic feet which is nothing but i don't know that i would try and paddle anything over 65 in my area but there's places where it's 65 is manageable because it's more of a lake area and 
um, you know, you, you could, you know, do okay mm-hmm. out there, but there's also places where that would also be considered just insane. Right. So, yeah, because it's not the speed of the water, it's the amount of water flowing. So as the, as the river widens, there's more water. And yep. so the number, the number can be really deceiving. And, and yeah, and that same advice from, for here goes, if you're fishing on the Willamette too, that river gets really moving in the, with the runoff. Um, and yeah, it's, it's super dangerous. So just heads up. Um, and yeah, the same sites are true. You know, we've got river gauges all over the place in the USGS, the uh, U.S. Geological Service, you can look at all this, all these stats. I use the, um, personally use the one from the Army Corps of Engineers because it's the dam, gotcha. the nearest dam to me. The closest um, one, okay. Yeah, and the closest one, it's probably a couple miles downstream of, of where I like to fish. So I, I do that and because the other, the next nearest uh, marker or uh, uh, gauge, gauge is it is at the next dam up, which is probably like 50 miles so that makes quite a difference, yeah. It, yeah, and it, it, so you, if you kind of compare the two, you'll get a really good sense. But I don't know. I like I, once I found that one for the dam, I really like it. So I go with that. And another just little piece of advice: I know on the weather.com app, uh, you can turn on small craft advisory, which, um, at least on the Susquehanna, is usually pretty indicative of when the wind is getting, you know to the point where it might not be the safest thing. So I, I did turn that on. So as soon as I log into the site and check the weather for uh, my area of the river, if uh, it'll tell me, and I, I, th- I want to say it's 12 miles an hour and up is uh, what they consider small craft advisory, but it's the same thing. You know, that's to the point where you're getting white caps and it's probably going to be a washing machine out there a little bit, you know um, I have fished it a little bit in, in, in times like that. Um, but it's definitely, uh, especially if you're a beginner, uh, I wouldn't recommend it. And it's funny cause, uh, you know, there's definitely been times where I've had friends, you know, uh, even I worked at a nursing home for a while and there was a lady who worked in the marketing department. She's like, Oh yeah, my husband and I just got kayaks. We're going to go take them out tomorrow. It was like a Friday and they're like going out on Saturday. I was like, Oh, where are you going? And she's like, Oh, right down here. And I looked at my, the river gauge and it was like blown out. And I was like, uh, I would not. And I showed her the app and she's like, Oh man, I'm really glad you told me that. Cause I've just, I mean, I've heard just this week, I heard of a guy who uh, ended up uh, sadly losing his life. He was out there without a low, uh, life jacket. And uh, you know uh, we have low head dams in our area, which um, it, it allows water to flow over it, but it also is very dangerous for boats to go over it. And, and right. if you don't know they're there, they're kind of hard to spot. It, it's, it looks deceiving because it looks, it doesn't look like a big drop if, uh, if a drop at all, but um, you can really, and the currents are just crazy around them. So, you know, every year we hear about, you know, sadly, a lot of people lose their lives because um, they just don't know about it. And uh, so it's definitely something to keep an eye out on. And and definitely if, if you have a, a chance, go with someone who knows the area, at least, you know, the first time or two, uh, just to kind of get the lay of the land. I think that's a huge help too. So definitely. And, and actually, uh, you mentioned, you mentioned like checking various apps. When I go out um, on the Columbia, I check four. I check because I think there's different, and I, I don't know the science of this, but there's different types of wind forecasts. Like there's, they use different models. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's, there's two apps and they're also websites. So I'm actually pulling one up right now just so I can, I can look at them real quick. But okay, so there's WindFinder and Windy. Those are two apps. Okay. And, and on Windy, 
uh, you can, there's five different variations of these different wind forecasts and they're all slightly different. So I use both those sites and I use uh, Wonderground, which is a weather site and I use AccuWeather. And I just look at them all real quick and, and just be sure because it's like, I don't wanna have one tell me that it's gonna be five miles an hour when, when the other three tell me it's gonna be 10 and they're just using a different model. And so I just try to get the best, you know, best representation um, because it's, it's, it's spooky. I've been out there where the wind caught me off guard and, and it's not, and, and I've had to, you know, pedal a mile or two upwind and down current, you know, like, or, or sorry, up, upwind, up current. Like they're both going the same direction and it's a double whammy. And, oh yeah. Um, and so it's really rough. So anyway, so just check out all the information. Wind is the biggest one. The current's not going to get you in trouble out there. It never gets that crazy. You can paddle up it. It's not a problem. It's the wind that's going to get you. And oddly enough, I know on the Susquehanna, you know, a lot of times if the wind is going directly upstream against current, that makes it more choppy than anything, you know, cause it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. It's nice because you don't necessarily, you can almost, uh, if, as long as you're okay being out in the washing machine, you don't necessarily go up or downstream you can kind of stay in just one area because the yeah. current's pushing you and the wind's blowing you back against it but it also makes it like totally white caps and and pretty crazy out there so but i think that's a great idea just to get because i've i've done the same thing i i i i've told the story on here a bunch but uh i went out in the morning and i knew it was it was probably right about as strong as i would want to go out but the the forecast that i had read uh called for it to die down and so I went out and I was like, well, I'll just paddle upstream. And that way I know I can drift back down if I'm tired. Well, I, I went out, the wind was totally crazy and it just got worse. And I ended up, I tangled, uh, I had a fish um, uh, tangle my anchor line. So I pulled it all up in my lap and I'm sitting there with this mess of stuff in my lap and trying to get it untangled. And here I looked up and I had drifted way down stream past and it was all I could do to make headway to get uh, back to the launch where I, I, I went out of. And I, by the time I made it back to the ramp, I almost called my wife and was like, I don't know how you're going to get me, but you're going to have to figure out a way to get me because I don't think I can make it back to the truck. And I did eventually make it back, but I was so exhausted. I couldn't even lift my kayak into the back of my truck. I, I called a buddy and said, hey, can you come help me load my kayak? Because my, my arms were just shot from just trying like anything I could to, to make headway against it. So you do really have to be careful. Uh, I've had a similar experience where I was, I was trying to get back to the launch. I had just stayed, you know, I was catching fish and it was like, Oh, just one more, just 20 minutes or whatever, stay a little longer. And it just kept getting worse and worse. And so I finally, you know, started making, making my way back. And um, I just couldn't, the wind was coming kind of at an angle to where I needed to go, you know, say I needed to go north and it was coming in at me kind of at this, at this angle like that. And, and, um, and it was blowing me off almost into the shore, like repeatedly. And so I ended up just saying, screw it. And I, I was about three quarters of a mile from my car and I bailed out and had to unload my entire kayak. I didn't have a cart with me. I, I trailer my kayak now, so I don't carry my cart. And so I had to unload my whole kayak, drag it up this embankment up to the road. Like it was such a pain, but it was just that, like, I knew that I I maybe could have made it to launch, but it was just too gnarly. Like, it wasn't worth losing all my stuff and, and you know, and flipping over. So I called it there, did that whole mess, walked to the car, got the, got the whole thing and, and 
and went home, but it gets rough. So anyway. definitely, definitely. So guys learn from our mistakes, make sure you check the, uh, the apps. I'll try and include links to a bunch of these, uh, in the show notes. So check those out. Um, but yeah, do whatever you have to do to be safe. Um, we got lucky when we, you know, made these mistakes, but if we can save you, uh, from making the mistakes, that's definitely what we want to do. So, uh, definitely make sure you, uh, go on and check that out, um, before you hit the water and just be as safe as possible. So definitely cool, man. Well, uh, we're, we're over an hour now. So, uh, anything else that you want to, any other places you want to give a shout out to any, any, I know you, you mentioned you didn't really have any sponsors, but any, any brand or anything specific that you love that, you know, I know you mentioned Old Town Year, a fan, but. Uh... No, I don't know. Um, just like <laughs> shout out, shout out to fishing in the Pacific Northwest and, and shout out to yeah. this area. You know, I, I think, um, you know, no, no, no hate here, but like, you know, we often hear like, oh, going out west, but everybody's talking about California, <laughs> right? Like there's, they're half, they're half the West Coast. Um, there's a lot of opportunity up here. Uh, yeah, it's a little colder. It's a little rainier, um, you know, but it's great. There's so many opportunities. So if you get the chance um, to come out, then then definitely do. I mean, you almost any, you know, any species you can target them from a kayak and it's so much fun. So uh, come out and uh, and enjoy it. And, well, it's uh, uh, definitely a new bucket list item for me. I've, you know, growing up, I was a Goonies fan and I always wanted to go see the house where Goonies was filmed. Oh, and yeah. I told my wife, someday we're going to do that. So now I'm going to have to make sure I fish when I go out there to visit the Goonies. House. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. You can definitely go do it. They, they do get like to anybody listening, don't be a weirdo. Cause you can go check out the house, but people live in that house. Like it's, <laughs> it's just somebody's residence. And, and I've heard stories of them getting like a little, you know, people being a little creepy. Actually, I just read an article that said somebody bought it that wants to turn it into a tortoise tourist location. Oh, okay. Because I had read the same thing that there was a family that lived there and was getting all sorts of crazy people coming. But I think someone else just bought it and for the purpose of making it a tourist place. I think yeah. I read that. Don't take my word for it. Make sure you check it out before you go. But uh... <laughs> hey, 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 you know, one one funny thing. Um, so in, in that movie for the for the Goonies fans out there. Um, they ride their bikes from town to what, what's called Haystack Rock, that big rock that's in the ocean, right? Mm -hmm. They ride their bikes there and it's like, I don't know, they do it in 10 minutes or whatever in the movie. It's like a legit hour and a half drive. <laughs> so to, to, to wreck anyone's, anyone's <laughs> memories of that, like you would never, I mean, maybe somebody would, but like you and I wouldn't get on our BMX bike at 13 years old or whatever and, and, right. and trek out there to that. Like it's, it's, it's quite the journey. That's funny. So, yeah. Cool, man. Well, uh, it's been fun, Luke. I appreciate you coming on and, um, definitely, uh, that's on my uh, bucket list to come out. And, uh, maybe if I ever make it out there, I'll look you up and, you know, see, uh, see what, if we can uh, do some fishing together. So please do. Cool, man. Well, uh, again, thanks for coming on. Um, Oh, uh, do you have any social media or anything that you, you know, you care to shout out? If not, that's yeah. cool. Okay. Sure. Just, just my Instagram. Um, it's, I, it's Luke underscore Johnston underscore PNW. And I'm not super active on there, but I mean, I'm on there and, uh, I do post pictures of my, of my catches and stuff like that sometimes. And like, you know, nice sunrise shots and things like that. And anything <laughs> that looks good, we've got some absolutely phenomenal scenery out here. So sometimes that's just, just the best thing to get some pictures of. So absolutely yeah. cool, man. Hit me up. If, if anybody else uh, wants to go fishing anytime and, and they can find me on there, then I'm, I'm happy to have more, uh, 
you know, more people to go out with and learn new things from them too. Cause like, I'm not the expert on any, anything for this matter. You know, I'm just like kind of being in the, the ambassador today of the Pacific Northwest, but like, yeah, there's people that know way more about all kinds of fishing than I do. So. Well, they need a voice too. Too. So yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Uh, Luke, again, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, guys, uh, I'll put links to all the things we talked about in the show notes. So be sure and check that out. Um, hope to see a few of you guys this week at Dale Hollow. But um, until then, this has been the Bass Fishing for Noobs uh, segment of the Paddle and Fin podcast, where we bring you the techniques, the tricks, and the tips to help you rip more lips. Luke, hang on for a little bit. I just want to have a little bit of follow-up before we uh, hang up here. But uh, that's it for the show tonight, guys, and we'll catch you next week.